you have your Bibles, this is a good time to pull it out and turn to Matthew chapter 6 this morning as we continue our study on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, as I was studying for this sermon actually last week, uh, this was a little easier of a week because I already had the sermon prepared, but last week I came across this statement, texted to, Mar- uh, to Mike uh, and said, this is so encouraging, sort of, and then also daunting. It's from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, we've mentioned him before. He says, any man who attempts to preach on the Lord's Prayer must surely find himself in great difficulties. Isn't that encouraging, like as you're in the midst of studying it? There's a sense in which it's almost presumption presumption to preach on it at all. One should simply repeat these phrases, meditate on them, and consider them from the heart. So, let's just read it, and that's it, right? He says, they themselves say everything. And the more I study this prayer, the more I believe that if only one used these phrases as our Lord intended them to be used, there's really nothing more to be said. But, on the other hand, we are all frail and fallible. We are sinful creatures, and the result is that we need to have these things analyzed and enforced into our hearts. And so, that being said, from one of the greatest preachers of all time, we find ourselves at Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, in the midst of the Lord's Prayer, studying together, Uh, what it means for us both as individuals and then as a church corporately to live in desperate dependence. Let's begin reading in verse 9 this morning all the way to verse 11, and then we'll pray. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. So this is God's word for us today to increase our joy and faith in him. So let's express our gratitude through prayer before we begin. Father, this morning uh, we are so thankful that you have decided in your great providence to give us words to study, give us words to reveal yourself to us and our desperate need of you. And so Lord, as we open up our Bibles, whether it's This morning, or whether it's each morning throughout the week, uh, we should feel your presence as you speak from your word to us. And that should bring a weight to our hearts, but it also should bring great joy that the creator of this universe would speak to us. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Uh, We had a week where it was full of different things going on, sickness, uh, snow, uh, all these various things. Help us now to just focus in. Uh, on what you would have to say to us in your word and how you would show us where our hearts may not be fully dependent on you and you alone. And so teach us, uh, teach us to pray this morning in your name. Amen. Well, recently the Retail Federation, National Retail Federation, announced that on average last week for the big game, people spent close to $207 throwing a party. Anybody spend that much for that big game? They said overall there'd be $15.3 billion spent on Super Bowl parties, estimating that 72 of those dollars out of the 207 would be spent on food alone. Now, I think we probably came pretty close to that uh, last last week. Most popular purchases for the game, of course, are snacks, non-alcoholic beverages, and, of course, pizza. I saw one picture of a, like a, Pizza Hut that had boxes just stacked full over and over with just with uh, boxes for their pizza. 
Here in the Midwest, we were expected to shell out the most uh, for food. Uh, but $33 would be spent on pizza, and the remainder, uh, they said an average $47 just on straight alcohol, not non-alcohol, just alcohol. So the Midwesterners were ready to eat for the Super Bowl. Probably a lot of that is also to stay warm. Now, these statistics that we read, and we know that the Super Bowl isn't always, always about the football game. It's about getting together and having fun and eating pizza. Uh, But what that teaches us about us and our neighbors is something we all pretty much know already, is that we love food, right? As Americans, we love food, and we're not going to spare any expense to have food. We'll go all out. In fact, we love our grubs so much that the USDA proposed that a budget for a month for a family of four would be $871 per month for food. That's $271 per week. Uh, that's their proposed budget. I don't know if any of you meet that budget. Sometimes I feel like we do uh, for, for that. Sometimes I say, no, there's not... Yeah, that money is just not there. So we're going to have to eat Cheerios a lot during the, during the month. Food seems to be central to a lot of our lives. If you think about it, we eat three times a day at least. You know, you wake up in the morning, you make at least two, two cups of coffee, maybe two pots of coffee for some of you, right, Michelle? Uh, if the day ends well, you're ending with like two gallons of ice cream on the couch while you're watching Netflix. Uh, that, like, that's a, a good day. Uh, we have parties, and at every single party, there's got to be food. Like, if you showed up to a party and there was no food, you would probably leave or think you have to call pizza for, for pizza. Birthday parties have cake. Anniversaries are always celebrated. Going out to dinner. Uh, family reunions would just be pointless without the food, right? Uh, and if we're all honest, we only go to weddings for the buffets, Uh, We always have to have food. We seldom find ourselves at a loss for food, which seemingly makes this line here in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, somewhat meaningless for the majority of us. I mean, give us this day our daily bread. We've got enough for today, tomorrow, enough for maybe the next week or next month in our refrigerator and pantry, so we don't need that. We can move on to the next line. Many of us would just think that this simple verse, give us this day our daily bread, is just to be stashed in the back pocket for that rainy day. You know, that day that everybody says is going to come. Our grandparents told us of that day that came where they only had a couple dollars uh, in their pocket and that had to be spent on gas and they just had no food at all. Nothing in the pantry, even those little cubes that you throw in water to make soup, there was nothing. Uh, We hear of those days, and so we say, at that day, that's when this prayer comes. Give us this day our daily bread. That's when we really need it. And up to this point in the prayer uh, that Jesus teaches us here, we've found words that we actually believe and are declaring the deepest longings of our heart. And so our Father in heaven, most of us would say, yes, we believe that. Our Father is in heaven. We want his name to be holy. We want his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we need a caring father, one who is transcendent overall, who rules and reigns, who has his way here in creation. But now, as he turns to our needs, he begins with what most of us say wouldn't be the biggest need for us, food. 
One author notes, just when we might be preoccupied with the abstract and ethereal in our recitation of the prayer, appealing for God's will and kingdom, now this prayer helps us connect the earthly with the heavenly in ways that might otherwise we might otherwise resist. This request for daily bread, then, this author notes, challenges our inclination to independence. For most of us don't need daily bread, at least not in the same desperate way that the children of Israel found themselves in Exodus 16, wandering in the wilderness, needing some form of food. We've got plenty of bread, plenty of milk, cereal, vegetables, fruit, cookies, and of course, ice cream in the freezer. But what we haven't got, we always can run then to the store to buy quickly, right? As William Wilmot writes, most of us perish from too much bread rather than too little, filling the gnawing emptiness within through ceaseless consumption. And so this statement seems a little simple for us. Give us this day our daily bread. But it actually cuts far deeper into our self-sufficient hearts than we would care to imagine. Here, Jesus actually exposes our independence and he raises this penetrating question. Does our lack of daily need for bread demonstrate a daily neglect of the Father? Does our lack of daily need demonstrate a daily neglect of the Father? To answer this question, we must press deep into this line here. And as we do, we want to ask God to reveal those hard-to-reach and hard-to-see nooks and crannies of our lives and our hearts where this self-dependence, self-sufficiency, self-reliance quietly waits for those moments when our Father is most desperately needed, but then it creeps in and strangles out our desperation and dependence on Him. So as we press in here, we observe two factors to our growth in daily dependence. First of all, we'll see beholding the giver, and then second, delighting in his gifts. And as we do, we encounter this encouraging truth here in these verses that God finds joy in his children coming to him for their daily needs. Our Father finds joy in coming to him for, their daily, for, for our daily needs. So we begin by beholding the giver, our Father. Mike explained this a couple weeks ago, that at the beginning of verse 9, we have the invocation of the entire prayer. And as such, it shapes each of the petitions that follows. The object of each of these lines in this prayer is our Father. So the ones that we study, we have studied, the ones we will continue to study through verses 12 and 13, verse 14 and on, the object of each of those is our Father. Our Father is to be hallowed. Our Father, we're praying that His kingdom will come and His will will be done. Now, before we get too far, though that term, our Father, is very familiar to us, it's really not for everyone. You may have seen at the end of the Super Bowl, as the Eagles were, were celebrating, at the end they all got down on a knee, and they said together in the locker room, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they prayed that together. Uh, while that was in one sense encouraging, we also see how familiar this prayer can be and how it seems like anybody can pray those words, our Father. But that's not the truth. Not everyone can say our Father to the creator of the universe. Only those who have 
turned in faith to Jesus as their sin bearer, who have sought forgiveness through him, have any right to call God Father. And so before we look into this phrase any further, let me just say, if you're here this morning and you haven't turned in faith to God and repented of your sins, you cannot say these words truly. And so I urge you to repent Place your faith in the one who stands with his arms open wide and says, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Author J.I. Packer notes, To know the truth of God's fatherly love to, to us as humans gives us boundless confidence, not merely for praying, but for all Living And so if you're here this morning, you haven't turned in faith, turn in faith to the Father. But for those of us who have, when we read this word, our Father, we see that this petition, give us this day our daily bread, flows from that. That gives us some hope. That gives us a confidence in our living. And it's here that we begin to see an everyday practical outworking of our adoption into God's family. The creator of the universe, who merely spoke things into existence, would turn his ear to us, should amaze us. The fact that the one that spoke, let there be light, and there was light, yet tells us to pray these words, give us this day our daily bread, should move us and amaze us. And on top of that, we learn throughout scripture that as we pray these things, we give him great joy. In fact, the prophet Zephaniah tells us that his joy is so great over us that he actually sings over us. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. The psalmist also tells us that the Father takes great pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope, who hope in his steadfast love. You see, The giver, the one that we're crying out to in this verse, give us this day our daily bread, is our Father who finds great joy in us. The truth is, though, most of us don't think of God that way, do we? Many of us fail to live in the reality that our Father, God, takes great pleasure in us as his children. That he finds joy in us. Most of us seem to be persuaded that he is either disappointed with us at the worst, or maybe at the best, he's just simply bored with us. He's just waiting up there until we can do something really spectacular to grab his attention. We might view him as that parent at the ball game who's sitting there busy on his cell phone, whether it's checking his email or his Twitter feed, and only cheers when his son or daughter finally makes a basket and is nudged by uh, his spouse. But that's not the biblical picture that that we have painted for us here, nor is it throughout the entire scripture. The picture the Bible paints is one of a father who is outrageously enthusiastic about us as his children, who's on the edge of his seat cheering us on, moving with us at every bounce of the ball, jumping up with us as we grab a board. The Olympics are on right now, and I can't help but think of watching the parents as they're watching uh, their children uh, 
participate in those events. Especially a couple weeks, uh, not weeks ago, a couple years ago, uh, there was a gymnast in whose parents, there was like a, a meme that was out there where the parents were like jumping back and forth watching their, uh, their daughter uh, as a gymnast, cheering her on. You see, that is how God views us as his children. He is excited about us. He sings over us. He takes great pleasure in us. Do we see our God, Father, like that? Do you view him as enthusiastic and joyful over you? Maybe for some of you, you don't have a father that was like that. And so thinking about God as a father brings about hurt about how your father saw you or treated you. Well, this is the good news that in Jesus Christ, our father, God, finds joy over us. And you see, in order for us to more accurately and fully understand this line here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, we must first understand who it is that we pray to and entreat for our daily needs. The Father is the giver. So it's understood in this line, give us this day our daily bread, that we're praying to the Father. A Father who's not apathetic towards us. Not that we have to do a bunch of things, again, as we studied earlier on in chapter 6. We say a bunch of words, grab their attention, to get, his, uh, to get his attention, say a bunch of things. He is not distant from us. The prayer book says this, He is always more ready to hear than we to pray, and is wont to give more than we either desire or deserve. In fact, in just a page over, in chapter 7, if you turn there real quick, Jesus states this, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So just as I wouldn't give Haddon, when he comes up and asks for something to eat, I wouldn't give him a stone to eat, nor would I give him a snake when he asks for a, a fish. Our Father gives us so much more. He's so much more willing to give us good things when we ask. And that is God's disposition towards us. Our God, our Father, wants us and likes us to speak to him. And he not only finds great joy in us, he also is the one who is the provider of all good things to us. James tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is God's very nature and character to be a giver. His story is full of that as we've gone through it as community groups. He gives Abraham and Sarah those who are barren in old age, a son. Israelites are without food in the wilderness, and he provides manna from heaven. Ruth needs a redeemer, and he provides her with Boaz and then a son. See, God gives out of his abundance and out of his love for his children. 
As we read earlier in Romans chapter 8, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Well, certainly Paul's primary focus there in that verse is spiritual blessings. We must also acknowledge that God's goodness does not just exist in the spiritual realm, but extends to the physical realm as well. We see that throughout his story. We see the father... As he gives the son and the son comes and what does he do? He turns just a a small loaf and some fishes into a ton to feed thousands. He gives over and over again. This leads us to our second factor in growing in our daily dependence. Not only beholding the giver and knowing that he delights in us and he provides for us, but that we delight in his gifts, our daily bread. Knowing that our Father takes great joy in us as his children and that he's eager to provide for us out of his, his abundance, that should give us the freedom and confidence to come to him to ask anything that we need. Our daily bread. If he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, as the psalmist says in Psalm 50, surely we can come to him for just daily bread. Now we could spend the rest of the time this morning and even longer on this simple phrase, daily bread. Seems simple, but as scholars point out, it's one of the most difficult terms in the whole of the Bible. Uh, But instead of trying to figure out if Jesus means bread for today or tomorrow or what exactly he's speaking about, that's basically where the difficulty resides. What I believe God wants to teach us in this verse, and what the truth is that we must grasp, is that God wants to meet our basic daily needs. So, as we pray this, line, give us this day our daily bread, we know that he wants to meet our daily needs. He wants us to depend on him for them. Martin Luther, in in his catechism, written back in the 16th century, asked this, what is meant by daily bread? The answer is this, daily bread means everything we need for our bodily well-being. Luther then goes on to suggest food, Drink, clothes, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, and goods. A godly husband, a wife, devout children, good workers, honest and faithful leaders. Good government, good weather, peace, health, law, and order. An honorable name, faithful friends, trustworthy neighbors, and things like that. In other words, as we pray this line, give us this day our daily bread, we are saying give us our our daily needs, the things that we need to live here in this world. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 104 is this, what do we pray for in the fourth petition? Or this line, give us this day our daily bread. The answer is, in the fourth petition, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. Again, our daily needs. You see, the gifts our Father gives us aren't always extravagant and extraordinary, at least to us as humans. Quite often, he gives us just simple, ordinary things like daily bread. These ordinary gifts that we are given are often, if we're honest with ourselves, just assumed. Like I said earlier, we open the cabinet. There's all the food that's there. God didn't provide that. I worked hard for it, right? Uh, I did the, the... 40-hour week grind just for all this bread, food, in the cabinets. Other gifts that we have, 
We, we kind of assume these gifts. But the truth is, all these gifts come from our Father who is in heaven, who is eager to give. These ordinary gifts are often labeled by theologians as common grace. Wayne Grudem explains that this is the grace of God by which he gives people innumerable blessings that are not part of salvation. In other words, these are things that are made available to all mankind to enjoy. And so if we were to think about ordinary gifts like daily bread, all mankind is able to enjoy bread. God gives that to all men. For instance, I'm a big fan of Sprecher's root beer. It's a common grace to mankind. A gift from God to all of us. Not just to me, one of his children, but to everyone. God gives us drinks and he gives us food to enjoy. Matt Chandler, a couple weeks ago in the marriage conference, he was very helpful when he pointed out that with these gifts, these ordinary gifts of common grace, without a relationship with God, you cannot experience the fullness of these gifts. You see, when I drink a Sprecher's, it can be a different experience actually for me than it can be for someone who is not a child of God. For I can run past the joy of the taste to the one who creates taste buds, the one who creates flavors. And I can enjoy God through food. This afternoon as we participate together in the family meal, we can enjoy God's good gifts and run that back to the one who gives it. The one, as Al Mohler notes, if we rightly receive food, it functions as a constant reminder of the greatness of God and our need for his goodness and provision. And so as we eat the soup, or as seven of us eat the soup out of the bowls, <laughs> we enjoy God's goodness through that food. But what we must also notice here is that Jesus is doing something very amazing in this verse. So the first half of this prayer, he's been displaying his royalty over all creation. His kingdom come, his will be done, hallowed be his name. But now all of a sudden, it makes a shift. Give us this day our daily bread. He starts to display the humanity, the humility that our Savior has. He provides just ordinary gifts like bread. And in doing so, as he makes the shift, he teaches us to bring all the details of our life to him in prayer. There's nothing too big for God's power, nor is there anything too small for his care. There's nothing too big in our life that's going to happen that he can't handle, nor is there anything so small as a piece of bread that he doesn't care for us in. So here, Jesus uses one of the most common elements in the culture of that day, bread. And as he does, he exposes just how dependent we are as humans on him. If we need something as simple as bread from him, and on top of that we need it daily, then that gives us little room to boast in our self-sufficiency. So what this means is that we need him for everything, all the time. The word daily here adds a distinct frequency and urgency to this prayer. We need him today, and we'll need him again tomorrow. We need him right now. We need the Father who's in heaven. As I said earlier, though, as 
those of us in our culture, we seldom find ourselves to be needy. Most of us don't worry about food provisions for tomorrow. Local grocery stores are pretty well stocked. They're always open, fairly affordable. And so it's often difficult for us to grasp what he's getting at here, which is often why we skip over this phrase and we move on to forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation, the the more important phrases, so to speak. But as David Timmis so helpfully acknowledges, just as we're about to ignore, the utterance here challenges us about whether we actually need the Father. Is he a pleasant acquaintance? Or is he the very breath of our daily existence? Jesus confronts our constant efforts to build barns and store up for the future. Daily bread provided by the Father, much as he sent manna for 40 years while Israel wandered in the wilderness, ought to be enough, but for most of us it's not enough. Our retirement planning grows increasingly important. Investments, savings, nest eggs, life insurance, equity capital, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds distract us from the lives of daily devotion and dependence. He continues on. He says, we want to leave a financial legacy for our children to set them up for better lives than we have for ourselves, thinking that it's our effort that matters and that it's our resources they most need. So just as we're about to skip past this quote-unquote unnecessary request for daily bread, we realize that this simple statement presents an indictment on our independence. Huh. Do we not pray, give us this day our daily bread, because we think we are the ones that provide it each and every day? That it's on our efforts to provide bread for today, tomorrow, for the future? So we don't need God to speak into this area. We don't need his good gifts. But Jesus has much more in mind than just a loaf of bread on our table. Here Jesus is inviting us to a lifestyle of daily dependence on him for everything. All his good gifts. To live with the mindset our children have. They wake up in the morning and they ask. They don't hesitate to ask, do they? Uh, They don't hesitate to say, Dad, is there food today? Can I eat? No. They're going to go in the pantry, whether I want them to or not, and grab some food because they're hungry in the, in the morning. And they also know that we have it, and I want to give it to them as their father. So we are to live with the mindset of children going to our father without hesitation. We know he owns it. We know he has it for us. And with absolute dependence on our father, ask him for all our needs. Ask him to provide daily bread. Ask him for those needs to pay the bills that you have. See, do we go to God like children in desperate dependence daily, asking him to meet our needs? Oh, not asking him to meet all of our wants. This isn't a uh, petition for, oh, you know, I'd really like that new F-150. You know, I I like the, the big truck. I like the house up on the hill with... Uh, you know, the, the pool in the backyard. That'd be great. I, I like all of these things. No, this is a call for our daily needs. Do we depend on him daily? Are we just sufficient ourselves? 
at the end of this chapter here in Matthew 6, Jesus gives us a, a brief commentary on this specific line in uh, verse 11. In doing so, he reveals how prone we are to wander away from a life of daily dependence. Look down at verse 25. So just having instructed us to pray for daily bread, he then says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Oh, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They are arrayed like one of these. But if God, oh, sorry, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus speaks into where we might often wander away from that life of daily dependence and into a life of daily anxiety and worry about our needs. Worrying, is there going to be enough? Our Father already owns it and has told us to come to him. Francis Chan, in his book Crazy Love, writes this, When I'm consumed by my problems... Stressed out about my life, my family, and my job, I actually convey the belief that I think the circumstances are more important and bigger than God. In other words, I have a right to disobey God because of the magnitude of my responsibilities and cares in this world. He goes on to define worry as as something that implies that we don't quite trust that God is big enough, powerful enough, or loving enough to take care of what's happening in our lives. Stress says that things we are involved in are important enough to merit our impatience, our lack of grace toward others, or our tight grip of control. And so, as we look at the end of chapter 6, we have to ask ourselves, is that what's going on in our own hearts? We neglect asking God for our daily needs and we think that we have to do it on our own. That we become anxious. Will we have enough? Because I'm not in control of this situation. And in turn, I'm saying, well, God, you're not big enough for this. Do we depend daily on our God, the giver of all good things? You see, anxiety's idol is control. As one author puts it, the best way then to prevent anxiety is to consciously trust God for today's bread and then trust him again for tomorrow's bread. Born Christmas Eve of 1866 in a small town of Vineland, New Jersey, Annie Johnson was welcomed in by her mother and father, Eldon and Jean. 
Three years later, this little girl would lose her mother, who died as she gave birth to Annie's baby sister. Her father, who himself was dying from an incurable disease, willed the girls to a childless couple named the Flints, who soon adopted Annie and her baby sister. During a revival meeting at the age of eight, Annie, through the Spirit of God, was brought to faith in Christ. She was a generally optimistic and cheerful child, always looking on the bright side of life. Her forward-looking, lifted-up head was her characteristic attitude and was going to be manifested later in her life. After high school, Annie spent one year in teacher training, was offered a position, but in her second year of teaching, arthritis began to show itself. She grew steadily worse until it became difficult for her to walk at all. She was soon required to give up her work, and after moving to New York in hopes of finding a cure, she finally received news from the doctors that there was no cure, and she would soon be a helpless invalid. Most of her life, Annie Johnson Flint was an invalid, blind, in constant pain, and in suffering. Yet despite her burdens and afflictions, she would go on to write beautiful poems and hymns about God's love, grace, and strength throughout her life. One such hymn that to this day still encourages and impacts the lives of all those who hear it contains these words and shows us the daily dependence that she had. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will abear. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. You see, our Father finds joy in his children coming to him for their daily needs. So behold the giver and delight in his gifts. Father, would you do that in our hearts this morning? Would you help us to behold you correctly as a father who delights over us as your children, who finds pleasure in giving us even ordinary gifts like bread? You delight in that. And then let us rejoice and delight in those good gifts. May we not assume that they're here because of our hard work. May we not look past them to those days when we fail, we might not have exactly what we need or what our children would need. Help us to be living today, knowing our daily need for you and knowing that your mercy, your goodness, your power that was sufficient for yesterday is the same today and will be forever. 
that you dearly love us so much that you want us to come and plead with you for simple, ordinary things like bread. If we can do that, we can come to you for anything. Your power is strong enough. Your care is deep enough. Teach us this morning and this week to be daily dependent on you. In your name, amen.